Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my Ben Bernanke to my Janet Yellen, uh, Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? Good. Well, for those that are not up on the Fed Reserve Bank chairs from previous <laughs> years, a couple of those uh, during the last decade. Right. But um, we, of course, are, are recording here in early May. Mm-hmm. And um, a few things we've been, of course, receiving from clients and a lot of concern around things. Because I know with our show, we've covered lots of different topics. Actually, the next show, we're going to get into Medicare a little bit. We're turning mm-hmm. 65. So mm-hmm. When you turn 65, you become eligible for Medicare. So we got to do a podcast on that. This is true. But before we get to that, we got to start worrying about shoring up our portfolios and thinking about things that are kind of keeping our cost of living intact. And one of those things that I think is uh, is the topic that's happening a lot is inflation. Right. So inflation is, I think, where a topic where we just want to understand a little bit more and and kind of in a few ways. One is. We obviously are seeing it from, you know, being in Maine and in the Northeast where our heating oil has gone crazy. Hmm. We've been putting more money into our, into our pumps, uh, into our, into our homes to keep it warm, but also from just everyday living, you know, going out to eat or groceries. Sure. So if I, ha- if I retire and I thought I had so much money that I was going to live on and all of a sudden my costs become higher, what should I be doing to kind of shore up my financial plan, mm-hmm. uh, my portfolio? What are some things I should be thinking about? So we want to understand inflation a little bit better was the topic we want to cover today, mm-hmm. was really about combating inflation that might be impacting your retirement. So our next guest is actually an investment consultant with our team, Guidance Point Advisors. So over his 27 years in the financial services industry, he's provided capital market expertise at some of the world's largest money management institutions. Prior to Guidance Point Advisors, he began his career at Goldman Sachs, initially as a fixed income research liaison, analyzing portfolios, optimizing security selection, calculating option valuations, and going back to school at boy T graphs, just when do you say op- calculated option va- evaluations, man, and constructing relative value trading strategies. He advanced to become a vice president as securitized product salesman covering large institutions with assets under management up to $2 trillion. His clients comprise of mutual fund managers, separate account managers, insurance companies, hedge funds, banks, sovereign wealth funds, REITs, and pension funds. Over the course of his career, he's transacted in multiple types of fixed income securities, securitized U.S. treasuries, agencies, corporates, and municipals. He's spent 15 years at Goldman Sachs, six years as a director at Deutsche Bank, and six years as a managing director at Nomura Securities. He lives in Wellesley, Mass. with his wife, Leslie, and three children. So at this time, love to welcome our colleague, Chris <laughs> Del Cole, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Welcome, Chris. 
Well, thank you, Ben and Curtis. Um, it's great to be here and looking forward to uh, talking about yeah, a hot topic of inflation. Mm. That's right. That's right. So, Chris, I, I'm sure as you know, with our show, obviously, we have uh, kind of that key topic of inflation to talk about today. But to start, we just want to kind of take a minute and really introduce you to our audience. So obviously, Ben just read off your very um, in-depth background there. So could you just take a minute and just kind of talk about your career and your path towards working here at Guidance Point? Sure. I know you guys always like to say what's your connection to Maine. Um, mm. And uh, I attended college in uh, Lewiston, Maine, Bates College. All right. Um, uh, and I was a math major at uh, Bates College um, and then uh, found my way to uh, Goldman Sachs. I'm a people person and wanted to get into sales. Uh, didn't know that opportunity existed on Wall Street. This is dating myself back in 1988, uh, but I was fortunate enough to uh, get a job in sales and trading within the fixed income department at Goldman Sachs mm. way back when, and uh, had a uh, nice long career on Wall Street uh, um, selling mortgage-backed securities primarily during my time. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, I'd love to look, hear a little bit about, again, your your childhood experience, right? So kind of building up to going to school in Maine here a little bit, but also what was the interest about, again, kind of the numbers into math, math into investments? What was it about, here you are a people person, but of course, we have the the quantitative side, the other side of the brain kind of leading you towards that. So how how is that uh, kind of, what was that thread for you there? Yeah, it's uh, interesting the way life takes you down certain paths. Um, I had a proclivity for uh, math and numbers. It is what I pursued at, at Bates, as I said. And, you know, Wall Street fascinated me. You know, it's it's a numbers game, but it's it, capital markets uh, developing financing for uh, the growth of all different parts of the economy and businesses. And as a, I have to say, I often say to anyone who's in college, it's very hard to know what it means to actually work at a job. Mm. Um, uh, but it was there was something about it that intrigued me. And from the first day I sat on a trading desk, uh, which is an exciting part of Wall Street in the days when it was lots of shouting, lots of activity, and uh, you had to react to uh, things that were happening in the market, react to your clients' needs, react to what the traders were trying to get done. It was all fitting with who I was as a person. Um, and so I really enjoyed that and looked back and said, great. I'm glad I uh, chose sales and trading over other paths that I could have taken, like investment banking. That's really great. So fast forward to today, obviously, you're working uh, here at Guidance Point Advisors. Can you just talk about you know, what you like most about working here? What uh, Going back to my uh, statement of saying I'm a people person, being in the private wealth management space, there are, are lots of different groups that work in private wealth management. And I like the nature of the fact that Guidance Point Advisors is a small group that works very closely with their clients. We're not buried in a large organization with a lot of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a terrific group of people. And that's important to me. And so we work closely with our clients and have direct dialogue, um, frequent dialogue. And uh, that's really what I 
like the most about guidance plan advisor. Well, that, that, I think that's well said. And yeah. I, I think it's also, it's one thing to really enjoy working with the clients that you work, we all work for, but to kind of enjoy working with the people that we do on a daily basis too, is it kind of adds that layer of, um, I, I think a lot of people in their corporate careers don't get that a lot. So I, I think it's, it's um, I think we're all very, um, going back to what uh, we heard a couple episodes ago about being grateful and having gratitude. I, I'm personally very grateful for that is, mm-hmm. you know, been in a few spots is you don't always get to choose who you work with in your life and how you spend your time. And um, I think we've all been very blessed and lucky to have a really good, dedicated, well-educated, caring group of individuals that we all can kind of help our clients with. So, but I want to switch to the topic about inflation. So I think the first part is we always like to just start off with, let's build the foundation of the topic. And one thing I want to just read off, so the definition of inflation, this is coming from Investopedia. So I want to bake that into the conversation right out the gate. So looking at the definition of inflation, it's defined as the decline of purchasing power of a given currency over time. A quantitative estimate, I'm sorry about the the words here, quantitative estimate of the rate at which the decline in purchasing power occurs can be reflected in the increase of an average price level of a basket of selected goods and services in an economy over some period of time. The rise in the general level of prices, often expressed as a percentage, means that a unit of currency effectively buys less than it did in prior periods. So... It, it kind of going to that basket, right, is, is looking at uh, the government looks at, well, what do people buy on a daily or weekly or monthly basis? So whether it be bread and eggs and milk and oil and kind of all gasoline, all those things and kind of say, well, this is the basket of things that people typically buy. And then what's the change in price from point A to point B to just kind of put that simply as a, as a definition. Mm-hmm. So Chris, my first question for you here is what do you think the larger impacts are of inflation on our lives and our financial assets? Well, it's a, uh, it's a great question because I think that people on a daily basis, uh, when I'm talking amongst clients and friends lately. What is the first thing that they mention when they talk about inflation? It's the price of gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends on where you are on the um, you know, uh, income stream. But the price of gas can have a large percentage impact on your uh, disposable income or uh, less, of, less so. But the most important thing is that we drive around um, our communities and we see the price of gas, mm. uh, you know, and we'll see, we'll notice that it's 425 yesterday and 435 today. And uh, who knows where it's going to be tomorrow. And like you said, with the definition, inflation is a basket of goods. So I think that hitting us in, on a daily basis is the price of gas, yet it might not be as important to our lifestyle or impact on our lifestyle. I think probably one of the biggest spends in our um, lives are rents or our mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. And that cost of living is if there's a rise there on that uh, component of inflation, it's going to probably be the most impactful on our own personal balance sheet. And, you know, again, we don't go to the grocery store on a daily basis to know what the price of milk is, or we don't go to a restaurant to know that the price of the food that we're uh, uh, eating is changing. I think that the most impactful on our lifestyle is rental income um, or mortgage payments. uh, Mm -hmm. And that'll get into kind of how interest rates and so forth. 
Yeah. So I like that, Chris. And, you know, obviously Ben just kind of laid out there or read out that definition of inflation for us. So naturally thinking of this, the opposite direction, right? So the opposite of inflation would be deflation, which I think people hearing that would say, oh, it's the opposite. You know, wouldn't that be a good thing? Doesn't that mean prices are declining, right? Making things less expensive if inflation is leading to things being more expensive. So can you just kind of expand on that maybe? And, you know, is it really a good thing to do we want deflation or inflation or what's going on here? Right, right. Well, uh, without going deep into kind of what a central bank tries to achieve, which an ideal level of inflation is a slight positive level of inflation over time. Okay. And we'll get into because too much inflation makes things uh, you know, too expensive and you need to spend money early, or, or I'm sorry, you just need to spend money today because it's going to be worth less tomorrow. Right. And the contra of that is deflation, where you're going to choose not to purchase things or you're going to save today because something is going to be less expensive tomorrow. And those two forces uh, you're trying to balance out and get to be at a more moderate level. You don't want too much. You don't want uh, uh, too little. And so to answer your question of specifically deflation, no, you don't want um, uh, too much deflation because it would force people not to spend Therefore, it won't drive the economy. It won't then we won't end up with a positive growth to the economy or a positive GDP, which is the goal that we're looking for to sustain employment and full employment. And and so, Chris, and I think that's a really great uh, definition, too, because you said it's like the one is we we slow the economy so much that, um, again, prices start falling. But then prices fall, and then essentially we the economy doesn't grow as all grow at all. So then we could have economic collapse because the everybody just stops spending altogether because everything's always going to be cheaper the next day and the next day and the next day, and then you have inflation. And actually, in, in our Bangor office, uh, we actually have a framed um, kind of story. It's actually of Zimbabwe currency, and it was in 2007. I think is the the first one dollar. So it um, it actually just follows the denomination of the Zimbabwe currency as basically they go through hyperinflation, right? That they go so hyperinflation I think is anything over ten percent, right? Is uh, mm-hmm. is the is over that? So they so Zimbabwe privatized their land and they they allow everybody to now get their own uh, crops and farm their own property, which many of them are not equipped to do, and the economy collapses. Right. So the economy is collapsing, and as the that's happening. Inflation is is just going rampant. And I think at one point in one month, there's like over a billion percent inflation happening hmm. uh, from 2007, 2008. So essentially, they started making larger and larger denominated bills. Mm-hmm. So they get to the, in I think one year later, they got to a $1 trillion bill. I think it's wow. even higher than that. Now you, you're making me want to go get up and go check in our conference room. I think it's yeah. like 100 trillion. We have a printed $100 yeah. trillion dollar bill. Yeah. So it is the largest denominated bill in in human history. And but it essentially, if you look back to the previous one year, it was equivalent to the previous year's like two dollars and twenty cents. Yeah. 
So they over they overinflated their currency so much that it completely devalued it, and it took a whole lot more of their Zimbabwe dollars to buy what was originally just one dollar the year before. So they just kept printing, 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 and again, as soon as they printed the dollar, it was uh, devalued so much that they had to make it even more denominated. So they eventually just got went away from their their currency and just embraced euros and U.S. dollars as their as a currency. So I, I I bring up that example because I think these conversations come up with our clients about, yeah. hey, I heard inflation is four percent or five percent and and all that and it, well, what's what's a bad level inflation? What but what's a bad level of say deflation and what's good? So I guess my question, uh, long winded question to you, Chris here is: so what are the what do you, what do you find are the pros and cons here of inflation? Now that we've kind of established deflation and inflation, the pros and cons of inflation, like we said, we, if inflation is maintained at a reasonable level. And we'll say that a reasonable level, uh, the um, central bank, uh, Federal Reserve, uh, has kind of looked at the 2% level of positive inflation as being the optimal inflation point. And their mandate is to get the economy to be centered around uh, 2%. And, and with it, you would have a resulting GDP, a positive GDP growth. So the economy is growing. Yeah, people are being employed. Uh, the unemployment rate, you know, presently is, uh, you know, 3% or so. And you're looking to try to have a growing economy where assets will uh, appreciate over time and they won't appreciate uncontrollably, um, where it'll cost, you'll have to earn that much more to purchase those assets down the road, because there's a separation too, where the price of goods could rise at one point and your wages won't necessarily keep up with inflation. So, so it's kind of said another way. So if you're kind of saying, Hey, well, the, say the, the Fed Reserve Bank, which is, you know, one of our kind of core institutions of kind of keeping an eye on our money policy and kind of where our economy is. If they're saying, hey, say a 2% is their target of inflation. So they're essentially looking at using tools, right, to kind of keep that 2%. So if we get out of out of bounds a little bit, we're going to the breakdown lane, that they want to kind of steer the economy back in towards that 2% target. Like right now we're hearing 7 and 8% inflation numbers, right? Kind of in that range. So they want to do something that then causes inflation to get lower, to get closer to two. And if they did too much, right? So if they go from 2% down to one to zero to negative 1% inflation, closer to deflation, they would do something to speed the economy back up in a way or, 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 try to implement more forces to stabilize inflation, right? This is essentially what the role is. And as you kind of described, I think from our end as advisors, right, is to help, well, looking at matching what costs are, which we don't have control over, right? We don't control what the prices are, but we can have a little bit more influence maybe over if if folks are retired or they have savings, is trying to keep your savings and long-term money to keep up with inflation as well, right? So that's, I think, from our job is keeping an eye on both together. What's your lifestyle to what is the income? And and I think neutralizing inflation wherever we can long-term. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because there's the discussion of uh, what what is the uh, proper real rate you should earn on your investment. And uh, so that people understand it, a real rate is if you have a long-term bond that is at 
earning you 4% um, and inflation over that long-term holding period is 2%, your real return that you've earned is 2%. That is 2% inflation is eating away at your buying power each year per, uh, per uh, each year. Um, and you're earning 4%. So you're earning a positive real rate of return. Um, and we've had an interesting environment for uh, the last several years as interest rates have been so low that we have been at a negative real return on investments um, in the fixed income space. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So I have another question for you, Chris, here. And um, I just want to ask, how does the supply of money impact inflation? So inflation, the way to look at inf- um, inflation is it's going to come from uh, two factors, two prevailing factors. Supply of money. So if there's an inordinate amount of money chasing a certain amount of goods, you're, you are going to get inflation. Mm-hmm. And what that means is if a lot of people have more money than they did yesterday, they're going to tr- attempt to spend that, uh, spend that money uh, for the fixed amount of goods that are out there. And it's going to result in higher prices on those goods or inflation. And inflation could also come not necessarily from more money being printed, but you can have a situation where the goods that are being supplied to the economy are disrupted all of a sudden. And that was what we witnessed with COVID. All of a sudden, because of supply chain disruption, employment disruption, the amount of goods that were normally supplied to the economy prior to COVID were disrupted. And so the same amount of money was chasing less goods and therefore it was resulting in higher prices as well. Now, because of what the United States government did and pumped in more money to make sure that people had food on the table and survived during COVID because we didn't know what the situation was going to be, you had a combination of both a supply side disruption of the goods and more money into the system. And that's why we're at seven and a half percent inflation at the moment. And and it's also if if I'm so again, kind of as you're describing, Chris, this whole like we're the Fed's trying to keep the inflation number and the economy growing and uh, employment uh, in a positive right. So again, they're trying to keep it kind of use the golf analogy down the center of the fairway or kind of right in the, in the, in our lane, right. They don't want to go out of bounds and get on the breakdown lane. And so they really want to keep it in this. So you're kind of talking about the tools that they have to kind of keep it there. So I guess the, the kind of the, this kind of supply part is it's interesting from a, they're, they're making moves and we don't know how the economy is doing maybe until after the fact, right. We don't know how the economy grew, from January 1st until March 31st, maybe well into May or June, maybe, or maybe even six months later when we get the data on how everything actually, so we have estimates in real data in real time. So the Fed's kind of looking ahead and saying, hey, if I make this move in six to 12 months, what do I think it's going to be at that point? So they they make moves that it take a while to go through the economy to kind of get there to see if the inflation. So it's tough when you, I think what, I guess what I'm trying to say is what you described as supply chain issues, plus money supply of getting the economy back on track after this pandemic, people being out of work, they pumped all this money in. Now we have all this supply. 
but now maybe we did too much in the time it worked through now, maybe we did too much. We have to now ease and kind of get back off of that. So it's, it's, it feels like a really tough thing for the fed, right? Is it's a very tight rope act. Uh, They don't know what it's going to be 12 months from now, and they can just make a decision what they think it's going to be. And meanwhile, that's, I think that's, that's what's tough from a um, being in it in the near term, we're seeing our lives impacted from interest rates to move up in bonds, um, stocks wondering what the Fed's going to do. And is that going to cause recession? I know we're going to get into that a little bit, but I think those are the, you know, the Fed and us maybe have different timelines of how we're reacting to kind of the day's news. Well, I think that's a great point. And not only do we have a different timeline than the Fed in terms of our reaction, but the markets have a different timeline than the Fed in terms of the reaction. And, and you bring up a great point of, of the pricing of goods. It, it takes time to work through the system. And, and so the actions from the Fed are not necessarily going to impact things tomorrow. Um, when we're driving by the gas station and seeing 450 a gallon, it, it, it's going to take, take place down the road. And yet the stock market might be anticipating that already down the road and pricing in what is 12 months from now or two years from now. I guess I'll add, Chris, is it's it's sometimes hard too, because I think what we see as the most recent data. So for example, like we're seeing inflation at seven or 8%, it's easy to then go, Hey, if I'm retiring today and I see seven or 8% inflation, it's very natural. I think for us to then put that in our minds to go, well, it's seven or 8% inflation. And that means for the next 30 years, I'm going to be experiencing seven or eight inflation as the number. So uh, all of a sudden, we then put that pressure on ourselves of, well, we have to do lots of different things to keep up with a 7 or 8% rising costs of our lifetime. And I think what you just described is the Fed's trying to figure out, is this is half of this supply chain issues where oil is maybe disrupted from Russia and Ukraine and and kind of the, the geopolitical uh, crisis there and all the supply chain issues we've had where people are getting sick as they're trying to deliver things across the Atlantic or Pacific is that what's causing a lot of this? Or is it, hey, we just issued a lot of money and stimulus money to people. We're all feeling wealthier. And are we using all that money all at once? And to your point about chasing all the goods all at once, is that something that maybe was the the monetary side? So we don't know the combination, but when we look at long-term kind of what we think inflation is, I, I think that's that's some of the reaction I'm, I'm hearing from the clients today is I think that all of it's just it's really permanent inflation. And this is something I need to react to today. So is that something where, I guess, what what are you kind of hearing from your clients? And what are you telling them when they kind of bring that point up? It's the discussion on the, um, you know, uh, not reacting to what is in the news today mm-hmm. is a common thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys ran into this, but I, I do vividly recall in the spring of two. 2020, when the uh, equity market had rebounded, and all the people, all my clients were saying, why is the equity market doing so well when the world is completely shut down? Mm -hmm. And the equity market was pricing in after the pandemic. And when it was going to come, who knew, but it was, you know, it had already fallen dramatically up until March. Uh, But 
everyone was scratching their heads saying, why is the equity market doing so well? Unemployment was rising at that time. We weren't talking about inflation. It would be probably deflation, but it was looking down the road. So I think that it's always important to try to look long-term. In general, our clients are long-term investors and we remind sure. them, you know, has, uh, if something hasn't changed, you know, we're, we're planning your money for a 15-year, 20-year stretch of time. And we will make adjustments today that are really going to impact things over 15, 20 years, not what are going to affect things in the next six months. And, and I think that's a good point because um, in today, I know, we, again, this is this is a podcast we're trying to kind of illustrate long-term thinking and where we're trying to go in retirement. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that just kind of using an example of a headline today, Market Watch top of the page. And of course they do it in full caps, like 40 point fonts. And, you know, it's yelling at you. It says Bill Dudley, the former president of the New York Fed Reserve Bank says it's very, very unlikely that the Fed can tame inflation without sparking recession. And Bill Dudley was the former New York Fed chief. So you get this, oh no, this is terrible. But I think what Chris, to your point of, right, so when you hear that sort of headline, right, this has got to mean something where I think where we're looking at that might mean something to us, where if I'm, you know, a, I don't know what this means at all, but this sounds terrible, right? Sure. We're going to go into, it's very, very unlikely. And he used to say it twice that it's, they can't tame inflation and without sparking recession. So what, what do you kind of take from that headline, Chris? And what, it, what does it kind of mean to you in terms of what you just said, especially about long-term thinking? Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, CNBC loves to um, uh, live off of hyperbole, right? And uh, and so they're going to go find that one economist or former Federal Reserve official that says very, very, and mm. and 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 that's going to sell eyeballs. Or, or I don't know what the term is. It's going to attract eyeballs. <laughs> the reaction to that, though, is I think you know Bill Dudley is just expressing the difficulty that Chairman Powell has right now. You know, a lot of people like to say it's an aircraft carrier. The U.S. economy, multi-trillion dollar economy is a, it's just, he's got an extremely difficult task ahead of him to try to, as we said, predict what's going to happen six months from now. How much is the money that was put into the system versus the supply chain issues to turn the ship. And he has done a fantastic job of telegraphing what his intentions are. And why does he do that? What He telegraphs his intentions because at the end of the day, interest rates that he is trying to control, what he's trying to control is what the market participants of the bond market are, are going to price into the market. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's, everyone thinks that they just set a lever and, and, and interest rates then follow that. All they're controlling are the front end of the yield curve, the Fed funds rate. What's really important to the borrowing out there, not to get into it too deep, is what the longer term interest rates are. And longer term interest rates, 10-year tipped around 3%. um, And uh, that is going to control the borrowing for the entire economy, uh, whether it's consumer or business related borrowing that would slow things down. And and basically that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to slow things down Mm. the demand side of things so that inflation comes more under control. Will it tip it into a recession? 
going back to what Bill mm-hmm. did, it could. Is it the end of the world? Is it a long? Is it going to tip it into a long sustained recession? Highly unlikely because they will use their tools if, in the event they see it as becoming a long sustained recession, to try to bring things back and get back to that equilibrium level of a two percent inflation target that they're trying to get long term. Mm-hmm. So like it's, a, yeah. it's a slow moving process. <laughs> no, that's a I, I, that was a great kind of excerpt there from you and, and kind of reaction there. Um, I want to kind of so we've talked about obviously how we all kind of manage our clients money for the long term. And we try to, you know, what we're doing may not affect the next six months per se, but I want to kind of focus on right now. And obviously here in early 2022, I just want to ask you, Chris, how has inflation been impacting stocks and bonds kind of right now? What are you seeing? Well, I think that the important thing to understand about the equity market and uh, the impact of the equity market, impact uh, of inflation on the um, uh, equity market is inflation brings upon monetary policy by the Fed that has to change interest rates to try to draw down that uh, demand side of the equation. The equity market values the companies that make up the S&P 500 based on that long-term rate that we talk about, the 10-year rate. There's earnings from company and they're projected out over time, five years, 10 years forward. And the, the equity analysts that help determine where people are going to buy stocks and sell stocks, they use the rate on the 10-year the, uh, for valuing those companies. And if higher rates come, those values have to come down. It is the simple math of discounting the cash flows, those five, 10-year cash flows forward, they have to come down. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the equation of bringing, the Fed isn't trying to reduce asset prices. They're trying to reduce the demand side of things, but a corresponding reaction of higher rates is going to be lower equity valuations. And have we lowered them enough at this point for a 3% tenure? We don't know. It could be. uh, Maybe we settle in at a 4% tenure. We don't know. And it might imply, or maybe the equity market's already pricing in a 4% tenure. We don't know. But equities are being, uh, equity valuations are being determined a lot to do with what interest rates are doing in terms of the movement. What is happening with bonds? Bonds are going from where they were at one and a half percent on uh, 10 years to 3%. And uh, not to get mathematical, but that's duration. Yields rise by 150 basis points on a 10-year asset. It implies that the price is going to drop a, a certain amount. Um, for a 150 basis point move. That's just the way it works. Yeah. So, but the the bond market, for example, if you look at the short end of the curve, uh, 272 year is pricing in those anticipated seven moves by the Federal Reserve. And do if do they end up doing 10 moves? If they do, maybe that rate needs to be higher. But at this point, it's pricing in the seven that Federal Reserve Chairman um, Powell has said to the market, we are going to do seven moves of 25 basis points. So Chris, I guess I want to make a point about bond and interest rates too, right? So what you just described here is, hey, over the next two years, right, with the Fed Powell and the, the Fed Reserve raises that short-term interest rate, that eventually this, price, this pricing and the 
the bond market believes that those those rate increases are going to happen to get the rate up to 2.7. So that's why it's already priced there, right? Even though they've not done that yet. That's correct. Right. So the mar- the market, is this in the Fed doing this? The market, when we look at what do we think its rates are going to be over the next two years to compensate people for what will happen. So the, the, the market then reacts and makes it in straight what they believe the, the average rate will be over that time frame. So elongate this now, right? So we've been talking about inflation a lot and we've thrown out like a seven or eight percent inflation number. So if inflation was going to be more permanent, this is just in my mind how I'm thinking about it. If inflation was going to be sticking around over the next 10 years, you just described an interest rate of 3% for the 10 year, right? That it went from one and a half to three, not one and a half to seven, not one and a half to nine, one and a half to three. So what does that, what does that kind of say to you about what the bond market's thinking about where inflation is going to be over the 10 years? Well, that the bond market is the best predictor of where inflation will settle in over the long term in a normal environment. I don't know if we have the time or the, to go into the Federal Reserve balance sheet that has put interest rates, long-term interest rates at an artificially low rate over time. But in normal times, independent of that Federal Reserve action of buying bonds, the bond market is the best predictor of where long-term inflation will settle in. And uh, so if you look at it that way and ignore the balance sheet factor, it would be saying that 3% is a 3% tenure is implying that Inflation would be somewhere probably in the two, two and a quarter percent long term. So, and to get to that point, that would that would be assuming it's again outside of the Fed buying bonds and you know causing pressure in interest rates to go down. But say say that three percent level, well, you get compensated for holding your money longer, right? So the longer I go out, so I get some level of uh, maturity risk and holding on to debt for longer. So that plus inflation plus um, again, depending on what the issue is, if it's not a treasury, maybe credit risk on top of it. All that leads to that rate, right? That 3% rate that's happening there. So I think that that's an important point is say the Fed is kind of keeping rates a little bit lower, maybe by 1%, right? Maybe there's additional on top of that if they weren't holding any of these other bonds and another bond buyer in the market. To, but, it, but I guess my larger point is that the bond market today is really not saying in total that inflation is a structural uh, resident, I guess, in in interest rates here going forward over the long term. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Then the tenure would be trading at nine percent. Right. So, so I guess that's my larger point here. When we've been receiving these questions from people, like, "Oh my goodness, inflation! We got to do all this today. We got to be more aggressive with our investments because I need to earn ten percent." Because inflation's eight and eventually going to be eight and nine, and I got to earn more than I'm going to have for cost to keep up over my entire retirement. And I guess what we're saying here is what we're seeing in prices today says really that isn't so, that, that, that we don't need to change our investment strategy because of what we're seeing maybe in more temporary terms from inflation numbers today. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I was going to bring this up earlier and during the 
initial stages of inflation rearing its head over the last year and a half, there was the question kept being asked, is this sustained inflation? Is this sustained inflation? But nobody was really saying, well, what's the definition of sustained inflation? Are we talking, is it going to be around for two years? Right. Is it going to be around for six months? You know, what is short term? For those that were saying, you know, uh, Janet Yellen was saying, I think it's temporary. The supply chain issues will uh, go through. But even she wasn't saying in six months, or maybe she did comment on some time frame. But to your point, we're dealing with an inflation issue that is addressable by the Fed, and it's a temporary, right? When we look over a 100-year span, it might be a little bit in terms of time. The level of inflation that we're witnessing today of 7.5% is there's really no little to no chance of it being sustained over a long period of time. And I'll define that to say, you know, beyond uh, an, you know a year. You know, uh, but forget about being a 10 year, five year uh, problem. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I think this is a good time to rotate into. Again, there's a lot of people in 2022, January 1st, maybe even going back to October, November of 21 till today. And I, I'll kind of kind of clarify today as being, say, end of April, early May here in 2022. So a lot of what we've heard is, hey, inflation has is, is impacted lots of things, maybe from stocks with recession risk, uh, but also interest rates are going up. So a lot of bond investors have lost money. So you get stocks have lost money in 2022. You've had bond investors lose money here in 2022. It feels like we're losing both ways. And I, th- I think that's where it, it's a little alarming, I think, from an investor perspective, because in other environments, we've typically seen if like in the 2020 pandemic, when stocks went way down, everybody went to the more risk averse investment and we went towards bonds. So bonds actually went up in price and investors made money in bonds while as a generality um, in that time period when they had lost money in stock. So you, yeah. you see kind of a counterbalancing that's happening. So I guess my question here is it's it's easy for a lot of clients or any investor out there to look at this and go, well, geez, if inflation's this now and interest rates went up and the interest rates go from three to four, four to five, five to six, six to seven, seven to eight, seven, eight to nine. Oh boy, man, I just lost a lot of money just with a, the 10-year treasury going from one and a half to three, what would it be if I went from three to nine here? And I think that's where a lot of people start really getting very concerned, very fearful, very upset. So I wanted to ask you maybe about what's um, what's been the history, because again, this it's not like inflation's never happened, right? Right. So when we've had rising rates over time, so I want to ask you about what have, what have you seen happen in stock and bond returns over time uh, during those time periods? Yeah, well, um, uh, it, it you look at this uh, space and time from 1930s to uh, you know 2010, and you have a, a great example of where over the sustained time period, there was a shift in interest rates that occurred, as you can see, from the 30s to the 80s of you know 3% to 10% for the average 10-year yield. Yet over that time period, you had positive bond returns and positive equity returns. And it, it is not, you know, yes, within that time frame, there would be sh- uh, shorter segments that would have negative 
bond returns, but over a sustained time, the cash flows coming off of bonds generated a positive return. And that's important for people to look at, despite the fact that interest rates went from three to, you know, 10 and a half, I think is the peak that it shows on this particular graph. Or yeah. Table. And just, just so for the people that are listening on the audio version here. So we, we actually brought up a blog from, uh, it's a wealth of common sense.com. It's a Rit Holtz wealth management does. Um, it's a really great blog here. And we, we wanted to show this table. So we'll have a link to it in our show notes as well. But, um, but I think a lot of that, I think, Chris, what you're pointing out is that from a bond side is that obviously price is moving, right? So that's part of it is what, you know, you're seeing interest rates move and our bond prices move with interest rates on a daily basis. But because coupons maybe for a lot of bonds happen on a semi-annual basis, you, you don't actually get this kind of big income payment until six, maybe even six months later after that move happened, maybe mm-hmm. at the very worst, right? So you get half of that coupon six months uh, later than the other half uh, one year from it, right? So it might take a while for you to kind of get that income to offset some price change if if interest rates are going up. But I think your point is obviously with bonds, they're repricing their interest rates as well. If, if interest rates are going up, then over time you are getting a higher coupon. So you're getting higher income payments as they go as well. Right. So, but I I wanted to give this, I think it's important that you kind of gave us this context here because I I think it's easy to look at this and go, hey, we've just experienced the last four months or five or six months losses on stocks and bonds when inflations have been there. And to your point about, hey, you know, we need to look longer term. And just because we're seeing something in the moment, even a year or two, maybe completely different than what we've experienced here so far in the first few months of 22, right? Right, right. Okay. So again, I'll, we'll we'll put that link in the show notes to this table for, for you guys to check out. But I, I think the important part is by decade, again, longer term investors, you have been rewarded by continuing to stay invested in stocks and bonds, even in spite of inflation, even in spite of rising rates. Um, and I, I think that's the important piece to know, because I think there's a lot of fear out there that we've been hearing from our clients and prospective clients. Well, just go to cash go to cash, don't take the losses in the near term, and and isn't that better than losing money on a daily basis forever in bonds? Is So Chris, so I guess that w- what would be your counsel to the people that are just saying, time to go to cash, time to get out, just get out of the whole thing and, and just lock in what I have? Yeah, well, uh, cash is not going to get you there uh, in terms of your long-term targeted returns um, and uh, trying to time the uh, market of getting out today uh, to then get back in at some point is uh, also not going to get you there. Um, it's uh, too difficult. To, uh, so I think that remaining invested um, and uh, when it comes specifically to bonds, you can uh, target certain instruments that would be more favorable on the unknown interest rate environment that we might be looking at. Um, staying shorter in duration, for example, like the the yield curve is a, <laughs> it's not a curve, it's a line today, right? Um, we're basically at 271, two years out to a 3%, you know, 30 year. That is not much of a curve. And so if you can earn that two and three quarters type of yield on a two-year asset, 
versus taking the price risk of a longer instrument earning the same 3%, two and three quarters, then you'd be better off on the shorter duration. And that's something we're recommending, for example, mm-hmm. but not cash, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the two and three quarters on the two year is already pricing in the Fed moves that we have and uh, cash is at zero still um, or effectively zero. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. So we've kind of reached the end of the conversation, Chris. Um, I do have one more question for you. Not inflation related, I promise. Um, well, it might be a little bit. <laughs> Maybe it is. Yeah, you never yeah. know. Um, so obviously the name of our show here is Retirement Success in Maine Podcast. Um, I know you're not directly located in Maine here, but I still want to ask you, how do you plan to find your own personal uh, retirement success when you get there? Personal success uh, in retirement. I think, uh, you know, one thing that we always talk to our clients about uh, that we, uh, we we can't control the returns on the markets on our assets for right. sure. And uh, having a good understanding of the money that I'll need to live a comfortable life uh, style in retirement is uh, finding that number, finding finding the uh, the tolerance level around that so that I can go and do the things in retirement that I want to do mm-hmm. um, all within the parameters of uh, what what it is that I can spend. Um, and, and I think that that's so important um, because uh, then you can just comfortably live in retirement. That's great. Well, well Chris, uh, thanks for, thanks for that answer. And I appreciate um, you coming on. Obviously, Folks uh, that have listened to our show, um, they've, they've kind of seen you a little bit through our roundtables and our discussion on kind of where things are, but um, very specifically into inflation, really appreciate coming on, uh, really educating everybody about uh, kind of some of the the levers that are at play, where we are today, and and kind of some things that we could be doing uh, to kind of uh, keep up with, with where things are with our uh, keeping our retirement to last. So thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. And we'll, we'll catch you next time. Well, thank you very much for having me. As uh, you can probably tell, I love talking about this stuff. So if anyone wants to follow up on uh, (laughs) the discussions like this and what the Fed has to do, it's uh, uh, very enjoyable to me. So um, thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate it, Chris. So I know everybody's been uh, introduced to Chris and some previous segments, but good to good to have some uh, have him be a dedicated guest today for the first time. Again, he is such a he's such a really great resource for our entire team, especially around his knowledge around fixed income. So hopefully we're able to kind of convey that to you and his expertise and how he really informs a lot of our thinking at Guidance Point Advisors and our knowledge on fixed income. But um, one thing I want to point you to is we will have, obviously we talked a little bit about a chart and some returns and stocks and bonds over time. We want to source those things, of course, and make sure that uh, you have... uh, you can see that. So if you go to our website, if you go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 64, because yep. we're episode 64, That's right. you can check out uh, that link there. We're going to have a little bit of uh, Chris's um, contact there if you want to reach directly out to Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that you can find as well. I want to tease. We have a really awesome episode and a guest coming up uh, on episode 65. I kind of said in the intro, uh, we're going to talk Medicare, right? Yep. So Medicare and we're become eligible at 65. Um, well, our episode 65. So it's, it's good time to uh, kind of put that together. So that right. was our 
That was that was our long plan on episode one. Is we we got to wait for sixty five episodes to get to Medicare. We, we actually really. recorded it three years ago, um, and we've just been yes, waiting. Yeah, exactly. This, yeah. You're right. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so we have a really great um, uh, guest coming on, uh, Jeannie Alexia, that will will do a great job walking us through that. So look for episode sixty five. Mm-hmm. But appreciate everybody tuning in. Catch us. Uh, uh, you can catch us on YouTube, uh, and of course the additional audio links too. But um, appreciate everybody's uh, viewership and listenership and catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.